Either Schwitzer? Oh, yeah. It's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five. Four. We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Well, hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and I'm joined by my Rickard partner, Paul Rickard. How are you, mate? Good afternoon, Peter. I'm excited because uh, this is the big week in uh, reporting season. That's when uh, not all. Every company, but most listed companies report their half-year or full-year profits. And it's really important because that, at the end of the day, Peter, as we know, share prices fundamentally are about earnings. Mm. And so telling us how the company is going and most importantly, what their outlook is for the next period is, is as important. So yeah. uh, since a big report had CBA and uh, CSL today, um, pretty well taken by the market mm. and uh, We've got a very interesting guest coming up, one of my favourite companies, one of yours as well, yeah. um, JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, the CEO, Richard Murray, we um, caught up with him earlier, and uh, and this is a company that really keeps shooting the lights out, t- taking on the likes of Amazon, taking on the, the doubters in the media, and like, well, I know you and I, we liked the when the share price fell around this time last year to $23, after it reported well and the market still thought now Amazon's going to kick their, their lights out, they've done well. And what are they now, $44, $46? Uh, come back a fraction. But look, I have a funny anecdote about JB Hi-Fi. I used to never go into a JB Hi-Fi store. This is going you weren't cool enough. You're look, a kind of guy I, I who's excited well, about reporting really, season. You're not cool enough for JB Hi-Fi. I didn't Paul. quite understand that. I just thought it was Hi-Fi, right? <laughs> yeah, <okay>. <laughs> and uh, it took me a few years before I got it because I used to see the yellow yeah. JB Hi-Fi. I think, I don't really buy... I don't buy CDs and that mm. sort of stuff very much. And then I realised when I got there, it was actually had a lot more than just hi-fi. <laughs> and uh, fellow, yeah, it's just noticed a service, became a shareholder and have just watched it go all the way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's been through, you know, some challenges in the market, not through its performance, but because, you know, everyone, all of the, 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 you know, a whole lot of people got quite bearish on the outlook for retail and thought Amazon was going to come in and whack it and it was the end of people like JB Hi-Fi and they've just responded brilliantly and, yeah. and uh, we've uh, had a lot of the short sellers. These are people that sell down stocks professionally, get absolutely creamed. And we love that. Short. And we love that. So, uh, <laughs> and Richard Murphy's been with a company a long time. Murray. Richard Murray. So yeah. he's, a, he's just done a fantastic job. Yeah, he's chartered accountant and, and basically... So what does a chartered accountant know about retail? Well, it is interesting, but yeah, you know, I'm actually surprised. You know, we often tease accountants for being allegedly boring, but there have been a lot of chartered accountants who've done really well. Um, Tim Pethick, who started mm-hmm. Nudie, he was a chartered accountant. Um, Alan Moss, who was mm-hmm. the, the the brains yeah. behind Macquarie, another chartered accountant. And Alan isn't what you might call an excitement machine, but what he created at Macquarie was exactly that. So. Never ever underestimate the capabilities of a chartered accountant and also CPAs, they're pretty good as well. Okay, that's and, our first and we're not step. sponsored by the no, CPA. No. Well, we could be, we're, but we're happy <laughs> for them. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're happy for them to come on board. And then we've got Tom Yule. Now, you caught up with Tom. Tom is an IBUS world analyst. And what I liked about his story was he was looking at the industries that have a real future 
you know, 2020 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, Ibis will uh, do a lot of forecasting, a lot of analysis, a lot mm. of research. and uh, One of the biggest in the world, Paul. Yep, and uh, one of the things they do do is, is look out, and so they're trying to talk about the winning industries yeah. over the next decade. Yeah. Those that are set to rise, but also um, some industries that are set to fall. So, yeah. and as an investor, you know, industry we call them tailwinds. Mm. These are things that can help you investing in a particular yep. company because the industry is growing gangbusters, or headwinds, things that are just you're fighting up against yep. the whole time. It's really important to have a All feel right. for those uh, those those industry and factors outside the company's control because yep. the company can't do anything about that. Yeah, without a doubt. Now. Our final guest is Jeremy Levitt. Now, he's a CEO of an interesting business called serviceseeking.com.au. Basically, if you're looking for a tradie, you can go to this website and and uh, name the job and people will bid for it and effectively you can find yourself a, a tradie. Um, so I look forward to catching up with Jeremy but he, Levitt. The, he's got, a, he's got a, a, a rich list or a tradie right. rich list, is that right? That's right. I'm very interested to see who are the richest tradies in the in, in the country. That is if they're prepared to say it. Anyway, we'll find out that later in the show. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Richard Murray, the CEO of JB Hi-Fi. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks, Peter. Now, Richard, apart from your general brilliance, which I've often talked about, why was this result so good? Oh, look, it's a big team effort across, you know, about 12,000 people uh, across the Australia and New Zealand, across JB and across good guys who just try and delight customers every day. And I, I think that focus on what the customer wants, um, we try to deliver it, you know, in, with good humour and great service every day. I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said for just focusing on the detail of retail. So, mm. um, you know, great value every day is a good place to start. Yeah. Richard, did the election result help the figures, you know, in terms of housing recovery and all that sort of thing? So that period from sort of December last year, just after the election into sort of the June tax time was probably one of the toughest periods I can remember. So as we cycle that now, we certainly do see sales being a little bit easier because it was a really tough period. Um, there does seem to be, I feel better about the economy today than I did 12 months ago. Richard, we've had um, sort of inconsistent and different figures about retail sales, but your second quarter was stronger than your first quarter and it looks like you started January pretty well. So just what's your take on what sort of what's happening out there with consumers at the moment? Um, I think that, you know, our space of consumer electronics, uh, particularly for the JB, the tech in JB is an area that, that um, people, you know, tech is very relevant in a household nowadays. Be it, you know, your mobile phones, basically your banking and your mapping and your diaries and it's all your social media. So it's, it's a pretty front-of-mind purchase for people. And I think, you know, consumer electronics are a higher-priority purchase than maybe 10 years ago. I think my all my children have just gone back to school and, um, but, you know, they access all their homework um, online portals. They submit work online. I mean, even though I probably prefer them using a pad and paper, uh, there's no doubt from the number of computers that have been purchased back to school, that's an important part. So I think just technology as a whole is very important um, for consumers. Um, and then if I reflect on where the good guys are at, we're certainly seeing that technology now more evident in home appliances. You know, the washing machine stops, it sends an alert to your phone. But that connected home appliance space, certainly for the good guys, is a sort of exciting growth part of their business. Mm. Richard, has the Amazon and its slow penetration into the Aussie market surprised you? 
Probably a little bit. I, I, I think, you know, no, nobody likes talking about their competitors, but, I mean, you respect all your competitors and it certainly made us think hard about what we were good at and where we delivered value. And so we made a range of, you know, within the good guys, we've now got three-hour delivery in CBD locations. We've got um, same-day delivery in many stores and a lot of next-day delivery. So we really enhanced our delivery options. So there's nothing like a, a competitor entering the market to get you to think about how you go to market. And I think, you know, across Australian retail and particularly for us, we've made a lot of positive investments. Now, Richard, you've had a number of uh, short sellers who've been acting in your stock. They're, those positions have been coming down over the last sort of six to nine months or so. Look, do you think, um, given that where your share price is and also that I guess part of their strategy was partly around the Amazon threat, partly around lack of confidence in, a, in, in the category itself, do you think that sort of that debate around, you know, what's happening in, in sort of bricks and clicks type environment is sort of over and, and that uh, you've demonstrated that there's a, there's a role for both traditional stores and an online environment? I think it's a bullish CEO that ever calls, um, you know, we've, we've got all the answers. I think, you know, every day we just try and work hard to delight customers, be it online or in store. And, and, you know, that, that, that simplicity is key. When I, but I, but, you know, I've just come back from the US. There was a retail conference in January and it feels like the US retailers have rediscovered bricks and mortar. And, and I wonder if, you know, the journey they've been on over 20 years, they've been disrupted, you know, um, in, in many ways, but that, when you come back to it, a majority of sales, in, even in the US, that has a higher online penetration, um, you know, 80% of sales are still in store. And because customers can touch it, they can feel it, they can explore, they can understand. But you've got to make sure there's a reason for customers to come to our store. Otherwise, they, you know, they might shop online if, it, if there's no reason. And I think both the JB stores and Good Guy stores create great reasons for customers to engage. And as long as we engage genuinely and create that reason to shop, you know, I still believe that there'll be a high proportion of our sales will be in store mm. as much as we need to invest in our website. So, Richard, this morning uh, on the Alan Jones's program, I talked about the coronavirus and how it could affect a retailer like yours. And the supply side of it makes a lot of sense if Chinese factories are closing down. But I did ponder, do you get a lot of overseas tourists actually coming into the shop and buying stuff when they're here in Australia? Um, yeah, that's an important part of our business. So that probably doesn't um, worry me particularly. I mean, we all sort of, there's no doubt that there are shopping centres in Australia uh, that where particular demographics are certainly a bit quieter than they were previously. So that, but at the, on the whole, um, you know, our sales results don't seem to be impacted. So, um, you know, I, uh, there's, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of noise and this is, I guess, you know, our role is to see through that noise. I, I hear some people saying, you know, shopping centres are quiet, but then people are going to shopping centres because, you know, they want to stay in Australia and they're not travelling overseas. So I think there'll be a period of noise. I, I think it will impact the Chinese economy more internally. I heard some people who, who export some stuff to Australia saying actually their domestic business in China has ground to a halt, but they're, you know, now that they're reshipping to Australia, they, they're, they're sort of back on track. So I certainly think the Chinese economy is going to go through a tough period. Now, what does that mean for... Australian companies who are selling services or products into the Chinese market, maybe that's a challenge. But you know, and no doubt from our perspective, as you you mentioned, you you do. We're doing a lot of work on our supply chain to make sure we've got product flow coming into Australia and trying to understand where there are any gaps. But you know, it's certainly a very fluid situation. It, it feels like over the next four to six weeks, 
we're going to understand a lot better. One of your uh, great strengths as a retailer has been to keep lowering what you call your cost of doing business. And I guess that's the amount that you're paying to effectively the cost of actual the sale itself, so going to staff and premises and all the other things that go into running a retail business, marketing and so forth. And I think you lowered it for JB Hi-Fi by about uh, 10 basis points to uh, 13.9%. Is that something you can keep on doing? We've tended to talk about keeping our costs in check. I mean, rent goes up a few percent a year and we want to give our staff, uh, if they're on the award, you know, people want a pay rise, which is absolutely, you know, we want to have great people working at JB and we need to reward them for that. Um, so I, when I think about our cost base, I just assume it goes up on a like-for-like basis, about 2 to 3% a year. Um, and what we're focused on is not so much cutting costs but finding productivity gains. We want to get the stock from wherever the, the supplier has it to our shop floor as efficiently as possible. And over the years, we've continued to find opportunities, be it in-store, customers would recognise the PDAs, the little electronic devices mm-hmm. that we use to do sales on. You know, all those opportunities to just make the process, fine-tune the process and make it more productive because we want to make sure we have as much labour on the shop floor servicing customers as possible. Mm. Richard, I've uh, recently bought something of good guys you'd be happy to, um, to know. Uh, but, one thing, <laughs> but one thing I noticed was there's a totally different vibe from JB Hi-Fi to good guys. It's, it's a far more, I, I guess you might call, sedate kind of feel. Is there any intention or a goal to maybe lift that kind of energy? Because the JB Hi-Fi energy, I think, is a, is a very positive thing as a consumer. Well, the good guys won. The product was good. The price was good and I bought. But it, it, there is a feeling. You know, there's, it's not the same as JB Hi-Fi. Has there ever been any talk about maybe you know, in lifting the vibe at good guys? I guess the, the challenge we have is we've got to be careful. We want the JB business to be very authentic to JB and the good guys business to be very authentic and on brand for the good guys. Mm. I, I mean, obviously what you're noting in JB is that music heritage has created a certain amount of theatre in the stores and, and the good guys do have a different theatre. We're certainly with the good guys leaning into you know some of the new home appliances. Who would have thought that some of the, the tech you're seeing in washing machines and dishwashers and fridges, you know, with computer with with TV tablet displays on fridges, etc. Yeah. So there's certainly new and innovative stuff happening in home appliances. But there's no doubt it is a little bit harder in a home appliance retailer to generate the level of excitement that you might in a music retailer. So. Um, we constantly ponder that. Yeah, yeah, and of course, I'm not going to bring up the fact that you're a chartered accountant as well. You probably <laughs> feel more comfortable in good guys, Richard. Um, look, uh, we welcome everybody at both JV and the good guys, and so um, uh, and uh, I'd like to think chartered accountants had a lot of value. <laughs> One last question, mate, and then the reason I'm asking is. People have been very impressed with the performance of the company since you've taken it over, despite the fact it was good even before you, you, you got there. What, what has been the greatest influence on you in leading this, this great business? Actually, the, the more I recognise that you just empower the team, the more the team gets done. So, you know, it, I... When I, when I reflect on all the things we've achieved over the years, the best things we've achieved is really when we've tried to set some some very clear goals. So do a few things really well. When we try and take on too much, um, we often, you know, we just 
don't seem to juggle it and, and we get seven out of ten rather than do a few things really well and make sure we deliver it. So when as a team we rally behind something, um, we're normally pretty good at it. When we try and take on too much as a team, sometimes we don't get as far. So the big thing within the JB business, and, and we've certainly seen this as we've worked um, as the good guys team we've tried to encourage this is we just want to empower the person on the shop floor to get the deal done. And I, you know, people want to be proud of what they're doing and I want the team to feel proud in what they're doing. And the more I empower them and um, set some broad goals, but the more I empower them as individuals, the better results we seem to get. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks, guys. And that was Richard Murray, of course, uh, CEO of JB Hi-Fi. Paul, time for a word from our sponsor. Well, we wouldn't be at a, um, a Switzer podcast without a internal advertisement, Peter. But look, we want to talk about our Switzer investment, our strategy day coming up, mm. right? Our investor strategy day, probably yep. the biggest event we do uh, each year. Because, Over a thousand people in Sydney. Yep, uh, and Melbourne and Brisbane, and we're going to take it to Perth and Adelaide in the middle of the year. But uh, this is where we really try to set out for investors what we think is going to happen in 2020 and get yep. some of the smartest people in the country to talk about as well. And it's a big year because, yeah, March marks the start of the 12th year of this bull run. That's yep. that's a long time for a bull market. Sure is. Uh, interest rates are staying ultra low. We've also got a US presidential election coming up, which can be really important in terms of what happens in America. And we know what happens in America ultimately indica- almost dictates what's yep. going to happen here in Australia. So we want to get to the bottom of what's going on with the politics, understand the economics, and talk about how you can invest in this 12th year in particular is it going to continue and what are the opportunities? So okay. that's on uh, Sydney on uh, March the 17th, Melbourne on Tuesday, March the 24th, and Brisbane on Wednesday, March the 25th. Okay. And where do you go to get tickets? Well, you should tell me, Paul. You go to Switzer Store. store. <laughs> no, 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 we got it wrong. We go to Switzer Event. Switzerevents.com.au. Hopeless. You know, you, Hopeless. Never, you never ask people who run the show to, to do ads. Normal people well, do I did, ads. I did look at you and uh, thought yeah. that you were going to pipe up with some... It's the first w- time you ever put the pressure on me. You usually <laughs> know where to go to. Anyway, switzerevents.com.au if you want to turn up to this great event. All right. Now, our next guest is a guy called Tom Yule from Ibis World. He's an analyst there. And t- you caught up with him earlier on today. And uh, let's just hear what you... you found out from well, him. Well, particularly about the winners and losers. What are the industries that are going to rise and, and those set to fall over the next decade or so? Tom, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Tom, let's start with the industries that are set to fly by 2030. Which industries are, are really going to lift off? Well, I guess um, Ibertoil's uh, outlined a few, I guess like you mentioned, uh, key industries that are set to grow uh, over the five years to the uh, decade ahead. Uh, so organic farming uh, is one that's uh, really set to grow and probably going to be the strongest growing uh, industry of, I guess, any notable size over the next decade. We also have uh, ride sharing uh, in the likes of Uber, all of these sorts of companies, um, mm-hmm. online consumer electronic sales, uh, online grocery sales. Uh, as we know, online retail uh, is still performing quite well uh, despite the uh, retail sector's wider struggles. Uh, and, the, and finally, salt, lithium, and other mineral mining, uh, which is an interesting industry, uh, quite complex with a few products, but um, yeah, a lot of uh, potential growth areas in that industry over the next five years to decade ahead. Okay, well, let's just pick on that first. I know a lot of investors uh, particularly have been following the discussion around lithium and lithium batteries, but it's, it's a bit mm. broader than that. So just, just tell me what the drivers there are for 
you know, salt, uh, lithium, and uh, sort of some of those other minerals? So, so lithium is really the main product and the biggest product uh, of the industry, and that's sort of, that's going to be what's driving the majority of uh, industry growth. But you also have uh, salt, silica, talc, graphite, uh, gypsum, uh, which is used in a lot of uh, manufacturing uh, and construction purposes. Uh, so the diversified nature of the industry is I guess, one of the things that will probably help it grow. Um, lithium mining is going to be, as I touched on, uh, driving uh, most of the industry's growth, but we've seen a little bit of a downturn uh, or it's quite a significant downturn actually in lithium uh, prices uh, mm-hmm. just heading into this year just due, due to some global oversupply. Um, while prices are probably uh, or uh, expected to remain low uh, over the probably next few years, uh, there's going to be significant volume growth. So uh, lithium, obviously, one of the uh, main uh, components of batteries. Uh, so for electric cars, for example, uh, battery storage facilities uh, as have been sort of made, I guess, media famous uh, by Tesla. Uh, so that's uh, as these, uh, I guess, as we move away um, and look towards renewable energy and how we're going to be storing that renewable energy, uh, such as through wind power and solar. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, the yeah, demand side growth uh, for lithium and an expanding a, a number of uses uh, for lithium as well. So maybe not price growth, but certainly volume growth, and that'll go back to, I guess, what most investors in mining companies face always to see if you can find low cost producers is often often the key. The one that surprised me of that list uh, was. Um, Ride-sharing services. Now, I thought we'd sort of seen that with you know the Ubers and the others that are in that space, but you think that's set to grow pretty strongly still? Uh, yeah, it will continue to grow strongly. We have it at about 15% uh, per year uh, in revenue terms over the next five years. Uh, but the industry still at that point uh, in 2024-25 uh, is forecast to be only about $2 billion or just over $2 billion. Uh, so while uh, the percentage terms uh, of the, I guess, yeah, the growth in percentage terms is likely to moderate, there's still significant uh, growth potential there, and it's mainly to do with increased adoption. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as we know, many people have picked it up. A lot of people are using it, but there's still uh, opportunities there. Um, we've got to, we have more uh, players inter- entering the market, such as uh, DD, uh, which is uh, uh, the China-based uh, tech company. Um, but we're also likely to see some price growth um, as the market stabilises a little bit. Uh, players become established. We've uh, already seen uh, prices growing to some extent. Uh, but yeah, like I touched on, a may, a mainly uh, a I guess increased adoption-led uh, growth, uh, which is still tipped to be quite strong. But there are some other er- potential areas for growth there as well, with such as Uber Air and that, these sorts of things, which are still, em- uh, I guess, emerging. We're not quite sure what's going to exactly happen yet. We, we, but, know, um, we know that yeah. they're trialling a few things like Uber Air, so I guess that's um, yeah. <laughs> taking a bit longer term, we might say that. On the consumer electronic sales, I mean, I, I guess that's probably good news for places like uh, JB Hi-Fi and others that are in that space. But is it sort of? I would have thought we'd already had enough gadgets, but you think we can have even more? Is that is that what the the, the research is telling you? Uh, I guess so. Um, it's not so much, I guess, more uh, gadgets, but just ongoing releases uh, of new models. So, for example, uh, Apple is one of the major players uh, in the uh, online consumer electronic space, and they're obviously releasing a phone every year, every two years. Uh, same as Samsung. Uh, consumers have um, been, I guess, looking to uh, just keep up to date with the most modern tech. Uh, you have, I guess, newer innovations such as wearables, uh, in, like, for example, uh, sports watches, smart watches, and these sorts of things. Uh, but it's more, it's also going to be driven by just a continued shift uh, toward uh, online and away from bricks and mortar retailers. Um, online uh, consumer sales is one of those areas which has been re- really lent itself uh, to consumers moving online. 
uh, that opposed to what's previously been, although another growth industry over the next five years. We've been, consumers have been pretty rusted on with food shopping, uh, but consu- uh, uh, online shopping uh, for electronics is quite easy to do. Uh, there's really good uh, benefits for consumers by way of price comparison. Uh, there's trusted brands, so I guess consumers have taken to it really well, and it's um, it's something that's likely to, uh, I guess, a trend that's going to keep going on uh, as new uh, technologies in, uh, in consumer consumer electronics are uh, continue to emerge. And is the uh, is the rollout of five G, uh, and I guess there might even be a six G after that. I don't quite understand what the difference is, but <laughs> <laughs> but there's lots of Gs. Is, is that important to sort of driving this growth as well? Um, it's an underlying factor for sure. It's not something that re- will, I guess, really um, overhaul or really significantly boost um, the sector. Uh, but as I guess uh, new te- as these new, um, new devices come out, which have to be five G compatible, that will entice a lot of consumers to I guess, update their their phones, um, perhaps computers, uh, to make sure they're making the most out of faster internet speeds. Um, I guess with the uh, NBN being, <laughs> I guess, underwhelming uh, in some areas, uh, a lot of uh, Australians are looking for faster internet, and that's something that's certainly going to be, um, I guess, the consumer online electronics sector is adjacent to that. Um, so with the rollout of 5G, uh, the sector is likely to benefit. And uh, organic foods, I don't think that would be of surprise to anyone who's seen the, the sort of the growth in <laughs> no. the Sydney and Melbourne of that. But where does, where does veganism sort of fit in in that category? Because that's the other sort of subtrend, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So veganism, I guess, uh, they're, they're sort of, I guess they're related. Um, I guess you can be uh, a vegan and not eat uh, organic foods. Uh, fruits and vegetables, right? Uh, but a lot of, I guess, with I guess health consciousness, um, a lot of people are caring a lot more these days about, I guess, what they put in their bodies. Um, just generally, uh, people tend to be eating better. Uh, per capita, fruit and vegetable consumption is going up uh, a bit slower than we might have expected, um, given the trends toward uh, veganism, as you touched on, and um, and just uh, vegetarianism as well. Uh, but there's a growing concern about uh, chemical and pesticide usage, these sorts of things. Uh, not just the effect on, I guess, the person consuming it, but on the environment as well. Um, so pesticide and chemical runoff from agricultural industries is one of the, uh, the- uh, reasons or it's been theorised that it's, behind, it's uh, contributing to coral bleaching in the Great Barrier Reef, for example. Uh, and media coverage of these sorts of issues has led consumers um, to demand more, I guess, um, or- organic produce, fruits, vegetables, uh, but meats as well. Uh, but there's also... a producer side benefit here or a benefit for farmers in that margins are typically higher. Consumers have been willing or have demonstrated in the past that they're willing to pay a price premium for organic produce. So what this means is obviously you're going to go to the sector which is most profitable. Uh, there are like a lot of uh, barriers to entry in that regard. So there's a lot of regulation. Uh, you have to get accredited um, usually um, even your inputs have to be uh, organic certified. So it's not a simple matter of I'm, a, I'm an organic farmer today. <laughs> I wasn't yesterday. But, uh, you know, strong profit margins in the industry compared to, I guess, what you may call traditional farming uh, is encouraging participation from farmers. And that's another factor driving um, revenue growth in the industry um, and likely to occur, still be occurring over the next five to 10 years. Tell me about the ones that are set to fall. I mean, I, I notice here that in the in your document you've circulated that you talk about fiber optic cable insulation that's 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 uh, that's gloomy and doomy that's largely because of, of the uh, end of the rollout of the NBN so if you're in that trade that's uh, that's not, not looking very good but the three of the others you mentioned I, I guess aren't going to be too many surprises bookstores free-to-air TV and newspapers 
I'm always a bit puzzled why people want to invest in free-to-air TV. But you're, 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 you see industry headwinds in that. That is that correct? Uh, yes, um, I guess with uh, and, uh, I guess many of your listeners will be uh, pretty aware of the reasons why. Uh, just as consumers uh, and just Australians have moved towards streaming services and other media as well, um, people just tend to be watching a little bit less TV these days. Um, there's a lot more. I, guess, um, I call it life noise. Uh, to, uh, I don't know if I've invented that invented that phrase. Just more things for people to do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so just more things for people to do. Um, you think it's not just, I guess, the media you can consume, uh, but you know, there's inc- um, people are going uh, out to restaurants more. Uh, there's just more things competing for people's times. People are uh, at least claiming uh, that they're busier than ever before, and there's like it's been some I guess consumer studies uh, which espouse this. Uh, but I guess with free-to-air television, there's also pay TV, pay TV, which is um, I guess uh, I've got an ongoing source of competition. But that sector is uh, likely to have its own struggles as well. So, but with streaming services coming out, uh, people, uh, Australians are just getting really used to watching what they want uh, when they want. Uh, and of course, now Disney have entered the market, and in addition to Netflix, uh, Amazon have entered the space. So, just the more competition in the media landscape in general. Uh, likely to be, I guess, detrimental to the traditional uh, free-to-air television providers. Well, I think that's a warning to investors in in Nine and, and Seven West Media and a couple of other companies. And always wondered why they bothered because uh, <laughs> I, th- I think your research sort of, yeah, you know, at least sort of substantiates some of the anecdote that I share. Look, as always, um, you guys are right on the pace with uh, what's going on, and uh, it's great to get a sort of a bit of a forward analysis of uh, both the industry set to fly and the industry set to fall in the next. Uh, Look, uh, 10 years or so. Uh, Tom Yule, Senior Industry Analyst from Ibis World, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you very much. So that was Tom Yule from Ibis World. Now, Paul, when you're listening to some of the industries he was talking about, did you think, gee, this company is probably well-placed? Look, I struggle to find any ride-sharing companies. I think there are obviously mm-hmm. some in the organic food spot. Uh, clearly things like uh, minerals and lithium. He's quite bullish on lithium. Now, we know that that's probably more a volume game rather than a price game. Yep. But the, the take I had of that is, is, and I know that a lot of people have invested in some of the lithium and you know, rare earths and other type producers, is always go for quality, go for low-cost producers. Because what he's saying mm. is that the demand is gonna, for the mineral is going to soar, but so is the supply. And all, as we've seen in the mining game, it's always about the low-cost producer that wins. wins yeah. And the high cost, they get grilled. So... Uh, that's the one to go for. And I, again, as I said uh, to him, I just can't see why I'd ever think about seriously investing in, in Nine or uh, yeah, free-to-air. You know, free-to-air TV. I just cannot see the future in that. Sorry. Okay. So um, now it's time for another ad, Paul, but this time it's for our micro cap. Yeah, and we'll be better rehearsed on this one, Peter, yeah. because uh, we at least we know what it's for. It's our micro cap conference coming up on in Sydney on March the 3rd. Now, we did this back in uh, no, late November last year. We got some micro cap or some smaller cap companies, terribly successful. The CEOs presented. The C- this is the CEOs presenting. Now, we thought it was really important to do this just after reporting season, yep. which we talked about, because they're free to actually talk about their P&L mm. and talk about their strategy. They're much less constrained than they are when they're away from their um, their earnings update. Mm. And so we've got uh, another group of companies uh, at our, our microcap conference, Sydney, on uh, Tuesday, the uh, March the 3rd. Also got a couple of analysts and a couple of guys who work, who work who, some of the guys we really respect, mm. 
uh, sharing with us, and well, Tony Featherston's one that's going to be there, about how he, he picks, him. picks him and analyses company. He, I reckon he's one of the best, if not yeah. the best in Australia. Format editor so. of BRW magazine. Yep. So Very that's good. on uh, Tuesday, March the 3rd in Sydney, and you go to? We go, in this case, switzerevents.com.au. And I should throw in, last uh, conference, uh, Julia Lee named EML, mm-hmm. uh, which has killed them since then, and a couple of the other CEOs companies did very well indeed. So it's a chance to get insights that you won't get anywhere else. Our next guest on the Switzer program is Jeremy Levitt, who's the CEO of serviceseeking.com.au. Now, this is a business trade job directory, and I was really interested in this story, Paul, because um, serviceseeking.com has just released the tradie rich list for 2020 based on the survey of tradies in January. I've never heard of this before. I've never heard of it. That's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Jeremy, tell us about the company, first of all, and the survey. Well, Peter, where I find a tradie website where people list a job that they might need done, they might be looking for a plumber, or electrician, or a builder, and they compare multiple quotes online. Um, and we like to survey our businesses often to find out various things, including how much they earn, um, their average hourly rate, um, you know, things like uh, how, how they feel the economy is going and business confidence. And so forth, and you know, we package this up and and, and send it out, and uh, we just compiled the tradie rich list for 2020, um, as you were speaking about a moment ago. Um, there's some really interesting data in it. Um, one in ten tradies report making more than two hundred thousand dollars a year, which I thought was a very interesting mm-hmm. statistic. Um, and there are a number of tradies uh, who earn much more than than the average wage, uh, as reported by the ABS. So, so, mate, what, like the, the numbers are actually quite extraordinary. Did, did the traders actually tell you how much they earned so you actually could work out who was the top owner? That's right, yeah. So um, traders were quite forthright with their, their earnings. And um, you know, the, the top 10 revealed some surprising results. Uh, you know, traders earning much more than the average uh, wage in Australia. You've got plumbers that report on average earning $110,000 a year, concreters $107,000 a year. Um, and, you know, the top five, you know, they're all earning six figures, plumbers, concreters, builders, flooring, specialists, carpenters. Um, you know, the average wage is all over um, 100 grand a year, which is, you know, quite big money, you know, if you look, if you look at the average wage in Australia. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, we, we ask questions like, what, what are tradies charge for a typical job? Um, you've got sort of the, the majority charging sort of under $500 for a job, but the, um, you know, there are some trades that report on average charging, you know, between $500 and $1,000 for a typical job. Um, and over 20% of tradies say that their average job is over $2,000. So it doesn't, um, you know, require a, a degree in rocket science to work out that if you are charging over, you know, $2,000 for an average job, you know, you can earn, you know, well in excess of 200 grand a year. So these, um, so these Jeremy, trades uh, industries are quite lucrative. So, Jeremy, come back to the, the tradies earning lots of dough. I mean, like, I guess there's this suspicion still that a lot of tradies are taking cash. I mean, is it is that sort of? Uh, do we know what what the dough is? Is it all invoiced? Is it? Uh, do you still get no, a discount for cash? How, how's that industry changed it, a bit? I don't think it's changed at all. Um, you, you hear it a lot. Uh, you know, tradies are trying to keep, uh, um, you know, some 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 things off the books. Yeah. Um, you know, if, and, you know, in my experience, obviously we've heard it from a lot of, um, 
you know, different customers and so forth. But um, there are there are cashy jobs that, that exist. Obviously, the government is, uh, you know, looking at this area, um, you know, because we do, um, you do hear this, certainly we're a two-sided marketplace, you know, customers often, when we survey them, report paying cash for a discount. So, um, you know, there, there are some, some tradies that, that do this. Um, you know, routinely. Um, but that, that, so that, they, um, they, these earnings could actually be quite a lot higher. I think that's what I was sort of alluding well, to. Well, you know, this, 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 yeah, I mean, look, the way that they, they, they answer our survey versus what they report to the ATO, we, we have no knowledge of what they report mm. uh, to the ATO. We, mm. we don't take um, a commission from, from tradies, um, so we don't get involved in the actual transaction. We're, we're kind of like a, um, you know, like a dating site for, for, for tradies. You know, like if, you, if you're a customer that has a job that needs to be done, We'll introduce you to several tradies that are um, interested in doing your job, and you get to pick who does the job and how you pay them. Um, yeah. So we're not we're not a financial intermediary. So um, yeah, but it's obviously um, you know we, we've heard that some tradies are, are making seven figures. Um, you know, so if you if you're a plumber, for example, and you're doing a hot water system or a couple of hot water system jobs a day. Um, you know, if you think about that, times 20 business days a month, times 12 months in a year, you can easily be making seven figures of turnover. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, so so um, how, how do you make your money? So tradesmen pay us a, a membership, a monthly membership to quote on all jobs mm. uh, in their area matched to their skills. Um, so it's a, it's a membership-based site um, and they get to quote on everything that gets matched to them and the benefit for customers is if you don't know a, a decent tradie, uh, you know you, you can compare a range of quotes and, and pick uh, the best tradie that to suit your circumstances. So it's um, a very handy service, um, and, and it's great for tradies, obviously, because uh, we don't take a clip of the ticket. But they pay a, a standard monthly fee, um, and you know they can charge however they want. They can get paid however they want, uh, and yeah, it's a win-win for everyone. So, Jeremy, do you actually name names like this is the tradie? That has earned the most in 2019. No, we'd love you to do that. Yeah, of course. And, and much like you know the real, you know the BRW rich list. Um, often the wealthiest people in Australia don't appear uh, on that list uh, right. for, for the same reason that many of our tradies don't want to be named um, as well because it, it opens up, uh, you know, uh, the an opportunity for the ATO uh, to go and investigate um, their circumstances. So the, our, our survey was anonymous. Mm. Um, well, you know, we, we do have some case studies of people earning well in excess of $200,000 of turnover, plumbers, electricians, builders, you know, pe- people that specialise in kitchen and bathroom renovations. Um, so, so you can absolutely talk to some of our um, um, tradies that are earning that type of money. Um, but, you know, the, the other stuff that came out of the survey that was very interesting, um, you know, tradies are pretty optimistic um, about the coming year. Obviously, you know, we've seen an uptick in property prices, um, a big rebound there. So I think people are getting a little bit more comfortable uh, that the property market is on the way up. Again, we had a big correction, certainly in, you know, Sydney and, and parts of Melbourne. And, um, you know, so we had 46% of tradies saying that they expect to grow their income a little bit this year, and and forty three percent of tradies that we interviewed are expecting massive growth in twenty twenty. So I think that's also a, a good sign. They're busy, um, you know, and obviously they're at the coal face of the economy. If tradies are making good money, uh, there's probably seven hundred thousand 
uh, tradies uh, in Australia, then, you know, that's a, that's a good thing for the Australian economy. Yep, for, for sure. Jeremy Levitt, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. And that was Jeremy Levitt, who is the founder and CEO of serviceseeking.com.au. Paul, that's the show for the day. You did a pretty good job with that interview with Tom Mueller. I might give you some more chances to interview without me. Well, thank you, Peter. And you know, I'm, I'm excited about reporting season. That continues. Uh, good good result from CSL, pretty good from CBA. Uh, so this is really important and uh, mm. we'll be talking more about that yeah. next week. It'll be a big reporting season one next week. We have a few more CEOs if I can help it. Paul Ricard, thanks for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. Time. Time. Time.